is full of amazing claims. How about this one? Drink Coca-Cola and you can lose weight. It sounds amazing. Have you heard of it? Well, here's what Coca-Cola claims. They have a new drink called Invigor. And it will actually burn more calories, get this, than it adds to your body. And according to research, you can lose 100 calories a day by drinking three cans of Invigor. Do you doubt it? Or do you believe it? Or how about this one? I have just caught a piranha fish in Stockport. Now, as we all know, fishing is surely one of the most exciting sports in the world. Would you agree, Peter? But last week for Josh Boyle, it got even more thrilling. Can you imagine? Here's your P45, Richard. Josh had just been fishing in his local fishing spot in the exotic waters of Stockport when he caught a piranha. His mum Elaine said this, I didn't believe him, and if they hadn't taken a picture of it, I probably wouldn't have believed it to this day. Do you doubt it, or do you believe it? And here's a personal one. Last week, my parents-in-law came across from Northern Ireland, and they're actually here tonight. And my father-in-law, Jim, very kindly volunteered, is that right, Jim? To lay some vinyl in our downstairs bathroom. Now, that's not our downstairs bathroom, <laughs> just in case you are worried. He gets paid far too much money. Now, Jim, do you know what you're doing? Yes, Richard. But here's my dilemma. My father-in-law does not lay carpets for a living. He sells kitchens. As it happened, Jim did a fantastic job. And I would like to say tonight, James, I did not doubt you for one single minute. <laughs> Life is full of amazing claims. But what about Christianity? Christianity makes some massive claims, does it not? So what's the evidence? In other words, intellectually, intellectually, does it make sense to be a Christian? Or is it just wishful thinking? Is it simply a blind faith? Voltaire, the renowned Enlightenment philosopher, once said this, Doubt is not a pleasant condition, but certainty is absurd. So is Voltaire right? Well, tonight we read about a man called Thomas. And if you turn back to John chapter 20, very briefly, we will find this amazing story. Now, Thomas is a man who could claim to be the patron saint of the modern era. Doubting Thomas. Because I think tonight we may find that he is one of us. He is the honest sceptic. We admire his stubborn refusal to believe anything without solid empirical evidence. None of this airy-fairy nonsense. He is a realist. But watch this. His world is about to be turned upside down. Why? Because he's about to make a life-changing discovery. And it's this. Life begins in moving from doubt to belief. And it's so important. And tonight we're going to find three crucial steps to finding life. And here's the first step. Inquire after reality. Verses 24 to 25. Now on Friday night, we had a great night. Do you want to know why? What do you mean, no? Yes. 
Well, on Friday night, I went with Alison and my in-laws to see Joseph and his amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat at the Edinburgh Festival Theatre. Has anyone seen it yet? Yes? Well, on their website, it said this. Brilliant. It explodes like glittering fireworks. Now, being a Scot, you think I believe that? No. And that's like Thomas here. He is a skeptic. Look at verse 24. And imagine for a moment that you were Thomas. Okay? You'd spent the past three years following Jesus. And you had seen amazing things. Things like people being healed. However, Jesus has just died on a cross a few days ago. And how did you know that, Thomas? Because I'd seen it for myself. But look what he's now been told. Verse 25. Jesus is alive. How could this possibly be true? Dead people don't rise. I'm a little bit dubious, Thomas says. And that was the case for Lee Strobel. Now, Lee Strobel is a smart guy. He's an award-winning journalist for the Chicago Tribune. Okay, so he isn't naive. He isn't like, like Dougal in Father Ted. You watch that as well. And he was a spiritual skeptic. Didn't believe in God or the resurrection of Jesus or anything else like that. Hadn't science shown that these things don't happen. So they're skeptics. But notice Thomas is also a seeker. And this is so important. Verse 25, what does Thomas say? Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. In other words, he is a seeker after reality. Now let me illustrate this. Imagine if on a Friday night, I decided not to go to the theatre. Richard, are you coming with us? We've got you a ticket. No, thank you. It's not for me. Just give me the money instead. A true Scot. Because I don't like Andrew Lloyd Webber musicals. So I'm not going to explore it any further. And I stayed at home, in the huff, drinking a can of Invigor. Now... <laughs> Now the point is this, if I didn't seek after the truth, how would I ever know? Richard, why do you believe what you believe? Well, just because. That's why. Now look at verse 25. Thomas is different. What does he want? He is seeking after reality. What is the truth? Jesus, did you really rise from the dead or not? And that's what happened to Lee Strobel. He asked God to help him see. Listen to this and see if you can relate to this. He said this prayer. I figured, what's the downside? So I prayed along these lines. God, I don't even believe you're there. But if you are, I want to find you. I really do want to to know the truth. So if you exist, please show yourself to me. And folks, it's a prayer that revolutionized his life. And I wonder, maybe that's where you're at tonight. Maybe you don't yet know God personally, but inside you are seeking after God if he's really there. Now listen to this promise from God. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your hearts. So that's the first step. Inquire after reality. And the second is this. Examine the evidence. Verses 26 to 27. Now I still recall the day When I received a letter, (laughs) 
from the Lothian and Borders Police Force. Let me explain. I was going to a church committee meeting, okay? <laughs> so that makes it all right. And apparently, apparently, I made a traffic violation. And the police have evidence to prove it. But here in these verses, we find far more important evidence. Forget about that, okay? Evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In other words, can I really, really, really believe this? And so tonight, let's examine three pieces of evidence. And the first is this. The body disappeared. The body disappeared. Let's look at verse 26. A week later it says, His disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, Peace be with you. Now, I like obvious things. So here's the first obvious point. Thomas could see Jesus was not still in the tomb. Why? Because he was in the house with him. William Lane Craig is a brilliant professor. And he must love stress because he has two earned doctorates. Listen to what he says about the empty tomb. And ask yourself what you make of this simple logic. Here's the crux of his argument. Listen to this. The site of Jesus' tomb was known to Christian and Jew alike. So if it weren't empty, it would be impossible for a movement founded on belief in the resurrection to have come into existence in the same city where this man had been publicly executed and buried. It's interesting. So firstly, the body disappeared. And secondly, the Lord reappeared. Take a look at verse 27. This is great. Thomas, tell us what happened. Okay. Jesus had just died on a cross. I'd seen it happen. And now he's standing in front of me. And watch this. It's as though Jesus reaches out and he says, Look, my scars. It's not just proof that I rose from the dead, but it's proof that you can trust me. I died so that you can be forgiven. Won't you trust me? Jesus gives the evidence that Thomas demanded. It's great. Sir Edward Clark, a high court judge, who carried out a thorough legal analysis of the resurrection, puts it this way. To me, the evidence is conclusive. And over and over again, in the high court, I have secured the verdict on evidence not nearly so compelling. As a lawyer, I accept the gospel evidence unreservedly, as the testimony of truthful men to facts that they were able to substantiate. Okay? And now thirdly, the church emerged. And I personally find this evidence absolutely decisive. Let me share it with you. Historians tell us that Thomas was eventually martyred in India. Why? For testifying about the resurrection of Jesus. Now here's the point. Catch this one. Nobody knowingly and willingly dies for a lie. Okay? Nobody knowingly and willingly dies for a lie. Now, people will die for their religious beliefs if they sincerely believe they are true. Correct? We see it almost daily on our TV programs. Yet they don't know for a fact whether their faith is based on truth. But people won't die for their religious beliefs if they know their beliefs are false. And the point is this. Thomas is willing to die for someone 
he had seen with his own hands and touched with his own hands after he had risen from the dead. So Lionel Locku is described in the Guinness Book of World Records as the world's most successful lawyer. And he writes this, I say unequivocally that the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that it compels acceptance by proof which leaves, leaves, leaves absolutely no room for doubt. And now finally, how do you find life? You embrace it. You embrace it. Verses 28 to 31. Now tonight we began with some fairly amazing claims. Drink Coca-Cola and you can lose weight. That is going to be a seller. I have just caught a piranha fish in Stockport and honest Richard, I really can lay a vinyl carpet. All of which happened to be true. And folks, that's what Thomas found. It's true, Jesus Christ is alive. And it makes sense now when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though he dies, will live. So what happens? Thomas has moved from doubt to belief. And notice how he responds here. Verse 28. What does Thomas say to Jesus? My Lord and my God. And that was the same for Lee Strobel. He writes this in his book, The Case for Christ. He says this. Yes, I had to take a step of faith. As we do in every decision we make in life. But here's the crucial distinction. I was no longer trying to swim upstream against a strong current of evidence. Instead, I was choosing to go in the same direction that the torrent of facts was flowing. Now listen to this. See if you can relate to this. What is more, in an inner and inexplicable way, it was also what I sensed God's Spirit was nudging me to do. And as you leave tonight, you can buy a copy of The Case for Christ at a very good discount. And that claim is also true. So you respond. And wonderfully, finally, you also receive. In a few moments, Tim, Jenny, Hannah and Catherine will be going through the waters of baptism. And why are they doing this? Well, they've told us. They are saying to the world that they have received God's forgiveness and Jesus Christ is alive tonight. And if you look at verse 31, they know personally what this means. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life, life in his name. My challenge to you is simply this. What is your verdict? What is your verdict? And how will you respond? Let us pray.